Welcome to the Wealthy Woman Podcast, aka your holistic guide to being a wealthy woman. I'm your host, Donnie, and on this show, I talk to the dopest women experts, entrepreneurs, influencers, corporate baddies, and occasional wildcard guests while they share their wisdom from the experiences that brought them to where they are today. So let's upgrade our lives together, but more importantly, let's get wealthy. On this episode, I'm speaking with Jamika Martin, who is the founder of Rosen Skincare. I've been connected to Jamika for years, and I have always admired her journey, and she has worked so hard to build this brand, which is now in store. You can shop Rosen at Target, Ulta, Urban Outfitters, and there's always a certain level of pride that I have when I see a Black woman founder thriving and maintaining the momentum in her business year after year. During this conversation, we talked about so many good things from how to get funding to how to grow your brand to how to get a mentor, even how to get your brand into stores. Jamika is not one to hold back whatsoever, and that is one thing I love about her. And she was really generous with the amount of information that she gave in this episode. So if you are trying to get your brand into stores or you're trying to grow a company, this is going to be a really good episode for you. And as I always say, I hope you are taking notes. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. I have like just always loved everything that you've done with Rosen Skincare. I'm a fan. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I know we've been connected for a while now, yes. um, but it's been cool. It's been sick to see your growth too and everything that you've been working on. Um, I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I've changed careers like 10 times, but um, I love your consistency. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I'm i trying to branch out a little. I mean, I tell everybody everything I do is like under the umbrella of Rosen. Um, mm-hmm. And so like my diversification is like <laughs> still Rosen, but like a little bit different. And so I'm trying to trying to switch it up a little bit. But thank you. I appreciate it. No, I actually think that it's very like commendable because most people, I think that's why most people don't see success a lot of times because they don't like stick with things. You know what I mean? So I'm, I think that like what you're doing is so dope and you've been growing this brand for years and it, and you've grown it into something amazing. And so I'm, like I said, I just will always support everything you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Of course. Okay, so speaking of Rosen, how did you start Rosen? Like, well, how did that come about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started Rosen uh, next month. Well, actually, six years. Um, I started, man, out of my dorm room. So I dealt with, like, super difficult acne-prone skin for most of my life. Very, you know, familiar with all the different treatments and medications and things like that. And um, ultimately, just, like, didn't find a solution for my skin. Um, and particularly when it came to topical skincare especially drugstore skincare I just like wasn't finding anything that fit my needs and and really addressed what I needed done for my skin um was affordable was accessible and so that's that's where I started Rosen um going into the target aisle and be like wow like these are the same brands I used in like sixth grade and at this point I'm like I think a sophomore um in college and I was like okay there's some innovation to be had here um something should be different, uh, different ingredients, different formulas, and then obviously thinking about like hyperpigmentation and dark spots, which I just felt like was only addressed in specialty skincare. Um, and so I started making products. That's when I started learning how to formulate very novice um, and started making products and sending them out to folks and then just kind of like iterating from there and, and learning a little bit about like entrepreneurship and differentiation in college. 
and then I launched right when I right when I graduated. Launched used um, very anticlimactically. Basically, I went full time, but I still had no customers. Okay, wait. Oh, so you you were just at a place where you could like really focus in on it full time, right? So yeah. So basically, I did a summer accelerator right when I got out of college. So there's like an entrepreneurship program called Startup UCLA. They had a summer accelerator and we got a grant in that. And so that helped me kind of like right when I got out of college, be able to like pay rent and like pay for things. And then like, obviously some of that went to the business too. And then for about once that ended until about a year in, so like June, 2018, um, I was babysitting and tutoring. So I would kind of do that on the side to make enough money because I wasn't paying myself at that point. Um, but still working on Rosen full time, like sending out products and doing all that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I basically considered launch like when I started doing it full time. Um, and then obviously I think later down the road, like 2020, I think is when a lot of people start to like hear about who we were and get like more familiar with the brand. Okay. That makes sense. So was that accelerator, is that only for people that were students at UCLA? Like, were you, did you go to UCLA or no? Yeah. 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 So I went to UCLA and it was for, um, undergrad recently graduated. I don't know if you could be in grad school too, but it was like, they have an entrepreneurship. It's basically just like a resource center. And so they do a summer accelerator there. Um, and it was very beneficial. It was not like beauty specific, but I think they helped me understand a lot around the traditional kind of like pieces of entrepreneurship because when I started it was very much like farmers markets and I was making products and it was just kind of like you know like this homey kind of thing and I knew I want to get in retailers and I want to you know make a lot of money and sell my company but I didn't really know what does differentiation mean what is equity and like investors and like all these things so I feel like they helped me understand those pieces and we would go and talk to investors and it like put me in the mindset of like okay this is like how you scale and this is how you position or talk to people and things like that okay that makes a lot of sense so then at what point do you feel like you got uh, momentum with Rosen you said like around was it around like 2019 2020 or yeah so I would say you know from a momentum perspective early on I saw barely consistent growth like the first probably four years of Rosen we were like very to like very significant growth which was amazing and exciting I mean I think Social media is very different and paid ads are very different. So it's a little bit of a different landscape for brands starting today. But um, I saw a lot of growth, of course, growing from zero, you know, you're kind of like $1,000 a month and then $2,000 a month. So it was like, great, we're growing at, you know, a great rate, but it wasn't like crazy revenue numbers. Um, And then I would say 2018. So when I was under a year in, I got in the Target Takeoff Accelerator. So we were still a baby brand. But that That's was a That's when you got in? I didn't know y'all. you were only under a year in. That's crazy. Yes. Yeah. So I did that. I I think it started like April or May and June would have been my one year. And um, I did that and that was very helpful for me to be like, okay, like this is real. Like I could get into Target like and, and understanding those pieces. So that was a big point for me. And then I would say like, as far as growth and like notability for people like, Oh, I think I've heard of your brand 2020 for sure. Um, we were seeing a lot of growth and we had projected the growth, but obviously not in the way that it happened. Um, obviously June COVID and then black lives matter. There's a lot of stuff happening around then that we started to get a little bit more familiar. And then that led to target, um, being solidified. And so I would say that's definitely the year that kind of like really helped us make some strides with distribution. And then I think just people being familiar with the brand. 
Okay, that makes total sense. Yeah, because I remember doing that interview with you in 2020, like at the end of 2020 when I did um, the Beauty Boss Summit. And yeah. I remember you talking about all of that. Like so much happened in 2020 for you guys. So yeah. that was a big year. Yeah. 2020 was a huge year for us. A lot of a lot of Black-owned brands, um, which is so exciting. I think it's been interesting to see the ride after 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, now that, you know, it's not as trendy <laughs> to shop. It, it's still trendy to shop Black-owned, but not as trendy. It's not as buzzworthy. Um, and seeing how everybody's landscape has changed and how we've all rid the rave um, has been interesting. But yeah, 2020 was a huge year for us. Yeah. And I think I, I ultimately it's like in 2020, even though like some people, you know, they feel however they feel about it because like you said, it was trendy. It was trendy to shop black. But ultimately mm-hmm. there were certain brands like you and uh, like Alicia from Range Beauty y'all really use that as a stepping stone to like get some you know some really good things in place for your brand like like the target deal and stuff like that it was like things were moving and I love that you just used it to your advantage and you just like you know rolled with it Um, yeah no exactly because I think regardless of where brands have kind of like you know, if growth slowed down or if, you know, it picked up or I think there's conversations of like retailers continued investment, you know, with, with black owned brands, things like that. But regardless, there's definitely, like you said, pivotal stepping stones that were hit for a lot of brands to be able to like, kind of like secure your space in this next echelon of business and then figuring out where to go from there, you know? And so I think it's been incredibly beneficial. Yeah. Just thinking about like all the people we got in front of, you know, all the retailer partnerships we've been able to secure, things like that. I think 2020 was like a huge step in that direction um, that solidified a lot of those next level like kind of pieces for us. And then now it's like, okay, how do we take it further? You know? Yeah, absolutely. I, when I was teaching, um, when I used to teach about like how to start a beauty brand, um, cause you know, I used to have pivot. Um, <laughs> I used to always reference your brand and because you guys, the way that you marketed, or that you still market, Rosen, is just so unique. And it really, I feel like it really helped you guys solidify like a very, um, like your own spot in the market. Like you stood out for sure from every other brand, especially at that time. Like now, you know, you see other brands popping up kind of like, I don't want to say biting, but kind of biting off of y'all's vibe, you know? (laughs) Um, But you did something really unique um, with the way that you were marketing the brand and the way that you were growing your audience and developing that community. So, like, what would you say are some key things that helped you guys, you know, get that growth that you were getting at that time? Yeah, yeah. No, first of all, thank you. That's that's very sweet, and and I appreciate that. And I think, like, as the market changes, to your point, as other brands pop up, as other people enter the space, um, social media and things like that change we're always pivoting and trying to figure out like how do we remain in touch and in, in line with our guests and, and who we're trying to connect with. Cause I think we've had some like super strong points and we've had some like weaker points. Right. And so um, I think for us early on and a piece that I'm trying to get back to, and, and I think balancing the business structure looks so different. Like my day to day looks so different, obviously, but um, very just like authentic and casual connections with our oper- or with our guests um, is a big opportunity for us. I think I did that very well early on. I think finding out how we can do that now at a larger scale where I'm not as involved and maybe other people on the team are. But I think that was a big piece for us of like um, 
yo, like, I'm a very casual person, you know, I'm not, like, coming together super buttoned up, and so, like, our content, you know, we're just, like, posting, like, if it's a meme, or, um, you know, things like that, or just kind of, like, being very connected with them, and, like, yo, like, we're just here to, like, sell you products, and, and talk about what we're doing, but at the same time, like, we're not taking ourselves too serious, I think that was a very authentic point for us, and, and something I want to continue to get back to, um, I think having a solid group of ambassadors, reps, kind of, you know, that piece um, is something that I think we did really well early on as well. Yes. Um, and so there's so many of those folks that I'm still connected with that I'm like, you know, personally, just like seeing their journeys and seeing what they're doing and, and they're kind of like doing their own cool shit. And it's just been cool to like, whoa, like you were like one of the first people to post about Rose and then like we're still connected now. And so I think that was a big piece for us too was like, those connections felt so intimate and felt so personal because I was like talking to all of them. And obviously I can't talk to everybody now, but how can we build a rep program that doesn't just feel like we're sending out products, but like y'all care about me and us and what we're doing. Um, I think those were like the big key pieces. It's just like finding that way to have a finger on the pulse of what the trends are, what's going on in the community for us. is like black culture and like black women and, and what they're interested in trying to get back into that space but in like a super authentic and casual way I think is like our biggest goal and what we did super well early on that felt like it was easier to connect with us yeah and I I completely agree just like from the outside looking in that was something that I always pointed out to people with your brand because this was before TikTok, before people were like always wanting to recommend products. It was like mm -hmm. we were in the Instagram age and, you know, everybody wanted to be paid for content and UGC was not as big of a thing at that time. But you yeah. guys had so many consistent people like posting about your brand and it was like a lot of micro influencers or just like genuine customers that are just really into the brand and they were always making really dope content and it always aligned with what you guys were posting on your page and I think that was really dope because you could see that it wasn't a thing of like you know just trying to make it look like people liked your brand like people genuine like you like you had a genuine community you know like these people really <laughs> vibed with what you were doing and they were trying to be supportive and post and share and all of that and I think um that's something that takes a lot of like nuance you know like there's a lot of nuance to that and people don't necessarily hit the mark on the head when they try to do it these days and I think um yeah so what you did I just admire it and I think that that's really dope <laughs> thank you thank you yeah and I mean to your point it is it's there is a lot of nuance in it and I think there's always a re-evaluation as platforms change like okay we have TikTok now mm -hmm. and and um I think the world of influencing and gifting and things like that is always circling around because it's like it becomes more of a career so more people want to get paid you know, I guess regardless of what, what engagement or things like that look like sometimes. And so um, figuring out the best ways to tap in with people and make them feel like appreciated is, is huge. And, and I agree. Um, it's, it's very important and it's very nuanced, but it's critical, you know, for our continued growth and what we did to kind of like build the foundation for sure. Yeah, it was very organic. And I would compare it to like Glossier. And the way that they had built that brand, it was like, you know, very organic the same way where the the customers were really open to just sharing. Like they didn't feel like, oh, yeah. I need to be paid for this or, oh, I need X, Y, and Z. Like, no, I just enjoy the products and I want to share, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Now you guys are in Target, Ulta, and Urban Outfitters. 
So what was that process like getting into stores? Yeah, so different. Um, Urban was our first retailer, um, a, a more simple retailer. And so usually like when I'll talk to founders, um, I'll say like certain size of retail. And usually I think of like the door count. So Urban, I want to say they have like 500 doors, whereas like a Target has 1,800 uh ulta has 1500 cvs is like 9000 so it's like different sizes of retailers urban was a much easier one um in like their back-end processes aren't super difficult um really across the board obviously the target connection came from um the accelerator urban linkedin ulta linkedin and then they would they eventually circled back with me but a lot of the pitching process is fairly similar um around you know kind of just like sharing a bit about the brand positioning the brand sharing a bit about the size that we are um and then like the continued follow-up cadence um none of them locked me in after the first email i think all of them was kind of like consistent like a consistent follow-up um and then i would follow up with them you know a few times throughout the year and and kind of go from there um Launching with Urban, like I said, was a little bit easier. Their back-end processes are easy, and it's smaller quantities, but I think they're a great brand builder. I think they're aligned with, like, where our guest is and who our guest is from a brand perspective, so they're always um, a fun one to be with. And then now, obviously, Target and Ulta are a little bit of a different game. Um, I think I learned a lot from the Target launch that I was able to take to the Ulta launch around, like, inventory numbers and um you know packouts and all of these things that I kind of really began to understand um target I didn't there were some things around inventory and around shelf display and how we showed up that I wish I would have known um at the time of launch because we were out of stock for a little bit because like mm-hmm. I just wasn't ready for the orders that came after we launched um and we had to catch up with that, which is never fun because then it's like your shelf, they, they hate you being out of stock. Retailers hate you being out of stock. And so that wasn't fun. I changed my packaging. So I would go into stores and I'm like, I don't, this is like washing into the background. It wasn't standing out to me. Um, and so there were some things that I definitely learned and picked up from the Ulta or the target launch that I took to Ulta. Um, but overall, um, it, it's a little bit smoother now. So we just launched some new SKUs into Ulta this year. And like that process was like, we were very prepared um across the board on like packaging inventory because it's like okay cool like we're rocking we know how to roll with this um but it's great and it's great to just like have so much face time with the teams early on and and build out what you want to do and and launches are 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 always fun and then it's like really like now the stage we're at is like okay cool how do we double down and move products every week and move more products so that we can go deeper with each channel um and hopefully see some expansion you just like glazed over a lot of good things. So I'm going to dig a little deeper, <laughs> but yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. So I think a lot of people don't realize like a, a people that don't use LinkedIn. I feel like people feel like LinkedIn is for corporate, but as an entrepreneur, especially when it comes to getting funding or getting into stores or just like certain deals, like high level deals like that, LinkedIn is like the place to be. Right. And so you went on LinkedIn, you found the people, like the the buyers. Were you, is that who you were pitching to, the buyers at these companies? or? Yeah, I for? would typically source um, from a few different folks. I think buyers are obviously key and, and try mm-hmm. to build the kind of like repertoire there. But to your point, I think 
retail investors. I think even recently, um, I took a pause on LinkedIn and then I went back looking for like help on the digital marketing side around like strategy and things like that. And I made a post and got so many like amazing connections and like, wow, I probably should have done this like a while ago. Um, I definitely think founders tend to sleep on LinkedIn because sometimes I think when you're in like college and stuff, it's just like your resume and like posting like these little wins and it's not really, it's just like seeing everybody's professional updates, but really the connections that you can have and like the relationships you can build off LinkedIn is like huge. And I think too, like, I think we're so concerned with direct to consumer and making quick money. And it's like, you know, like there's so much more you can do with your business, (laughs) you know? And sometimes it's like, you need to be focused on B2B things or just making other connections that might help you long-term and that you can find those connections on LinkedIn. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you got your stuff into the stores, right. And you were pitching, what were the key things that these companies were looking at in order to make that decision on if it, if you guys were the right fit? Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a few key things um around launching into retail i think one thing that people don't realize is um you know talking to retailers is very different than talking direct to consumer um you have to look at a lot higher view um around how you're positioning and what's going on there um one thing that i always tell founders that's so important is you need to make sure you're fitting into what they need strategically and you're doing so in a way that boost the productivity of the entire shelf. Um, I think a lot of brands, obviously we go in or you talk to a customer it's like, Hey, we're better than this brand for X, Y, and Z reasons. Like it makes sense if you're shopping this cleanser, you know, if you're shopping the orange salicylic acid cleanser, great. Might be shipping your skin dry. We have a better option. That's also going to do X, Y, Z. Right. But mm-hmm. that I, I could never pitch that to a target and be that beneficial because that's a very, regardless of where the market's at, like that product is moving over and over and over. Like it's a staple in a lot of households. And so for me to come in and say, Hey, I'm going to be this productive, but I'm going to take it from the product next to me on the shelf. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, they're kind of ranging the same productivity. Right. And so they want to see how you're filling a gap in the market um, and how you are bringing an unproductive piece of shelf to be more productive. Essentially it's kind of like how they're thinking about it. Um, and I will, you know, say that that's one of the more important things, I think when it comes to positioning your brand, um, but there's also, you know, there's a lot of nuance to it, um, to how you can kind of go in and make sure you're speaking their language. But I think that's one big thing that I see a lot of founders do, mm-hmm. um, which they're not entirely interested in. Of course they understand where the market's at. They understand the acting category is innovating and, and they know that, but they want to see how you're going to be productive independent of like pulling down anybody else that's on their shelf. Mm, yes. Okay. That makes total sense. Now, would you say being in stores has elevated your brand or do you feel like, um, you know, like you would be at the same level if you just stayed direct to consumer? I think that I think being in retailers adds a level of validation for sure. When it comes mm-hmm. to investors, you know, like banking relationships, um, obviously just kind of like the external factors of it, um, other retailers bringing you on, things like that. Um, I think being on shelf as opposed to just com, retailers do care about that. If you're like just on a website or if you're on shelf, um, it's, it's a big validation piece. I would say from a growth or revenue perspective, it 
can be. Um, I think down the road you can unlock a little bit more if you're seen everywhere. There's a level of marketing and brand awareness of like, oh, I just keep seeing this product on every single shelf. Like Honeypot, right. for example. They're a huge brand. They move a lot of product, but it's also a product that you are seeing everywhere. And there is like a level of brand awareness that happens just from seeing the brand everywhere outside of all the efforts they do online. Um, so I think there's that. But I think for me, um, one thing that I tell founders a lot is don't expect to go into a retailer and kind of like double your revenue. So if you're, you know, doing X on D to C and you launch with Target, for the most part, you can expect to continue to do X as a business. It's now split between D to C and uh, Target. You might see a little bit of incremental growth, um, but it's very easy for a, a lot of brands go into retailers and they can't move products. I think a lot of people think once you got on the shelf, like you're booming and you're moving products. Like it's very easy for you not to, and it's really up to mm -hmm. you. Like, can your business sustain the size of business at Target, the size of business at Ulta and move products there? And if you're coming in with like a D to C revenue, that's too small. Retailers are going to realize that because it's like, okay, if you can only move this much products a week on your website, we're just going to take half of that and that's not enough to be productive for us. You know what I mean? So I think that's a big misconception that a lot of people have around retail is they're going to see some level of significant growth just by being on shelf when really the size of business you are, that's the size of business you are. That's how much business you have proven that you can drive week over week. It's just like, what channel is it going to now? You know? Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, and okay. So for your business, you've gotten funding for your business, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So what tips would you give to people that are trying to get funding for their business currently? Like, what would they need to be doing in order to get funding? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think, well, one, I, I think, so I bootstrapped for about four years, um, and then I raised capital end of 2021, early 2022. Um, I worked in New Voices Fund, and, and they're our, our sole investor. Um, and so we raised about 2 million with them. I think early stage companies, as long as you can bootstrap for, I'm a big proponent of it. Um, because it's just, it's easy to become very unprofitable. Um, when you have extra capital, it's very easy to spend more than you make and then try to figure out your way out of it. Um, or, or maybe you do have a plan out of it and you're like, yo, it's worth it for right now or whatever. Um, but I think I, I, I prefer being profitable. It's a place I'm a lot more comfortable in because it's like you don't have to rely on these external factors as much to keep things running. So I would say bootstrap as long as you can. I think when you look to raise, I think that you should be raising capital to fuel a fire, which is generally what a lot of people say. But I think a lot of people don't really realize that or think about that when they're thinking about capital. They're thinking about like, their company's not big enough or it's not growing enough or like, Oh, I need money to do these marketing efforts um, that are unproven or untested. Ideally you can go in and say, Hey, like, yo, I'm, I'm spending like 2000 a month or 5,000 a month on uh, all these different efforts and they're working so well and we're seeing growth, but it's like, I still only have this much to spend. So it's like, if I could spend 10, 20, 50,000 a month on this, I know it would go crazy. Like that's when you want to raise as opposed to like, I'm trying to figure out how to grow and, and we're trying to put things together. So I think that's a big thing. And I think that's a big thing that I see a lot of early stage founders talk about. And I realize like there's other gaps going on, but there's a big gap. That's why investors are not giving you capital because it doesn't feel like you've got it figured out yet. They want to 
fuel a company that's kind of figuring it out and a founder that has like a very clear strategy that includes a little bit of testing, but also includes a lot of like fueling a fire. So I think that's a big thing to think about of like, where are you and how much do you have solidified or, or figured out? And if you don't feel like you quite understand that yet, um, what will it take for you to kind of get your finger on that pulse to understand where to go and then go from there? Um, and then I think the other big piece is around positioning similar to retail. Like I said, I think the way you talk to your end consumer and the way you kind of have these B2B conversations is fairly different. And you need to be thinking from a higher level around really how are you innovating a category is what they want to hear. And I think those are the conversations you need to be thinking about as opposed to like, oh, my cleanser's great and I have these customers and look at these before and afters. It's like, cool, but like, what are we doing down the road? Like, what's the moat that you're building in all the species? So I think those are kind of the two key things that I see people missing and feeling very frustrated about the capital space. Like, don't get me wrong, capital is very frustrating. It's still, I don't know what the stats are. Obviously, I think the latest stats is still like 0.2% of capital goes to black female founders. Mm-hmm. Um, New Voices Fund is like one of like a handful that like focuses on black founders, right? So it's like, it's still a very uh, gloomy place for founders of color, particularly black women. But there are certain founders that I think I, I, I see missing out on these pieces and feeling like it's because they're not you know, a white male given, I, I think white male, white men get away with a lot more when it comes to f- getting funding, um, a lot less uh, tighter ideas and things like that. But there's these key pieces too, which is part of the reason why the conversations and things are, are so difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of us like, we're just like shooting in the dark and don't know the right way to like do all of it. So yeah, I can exactly. totally see that being a huge factor. Now, really quick, I have to interrupt the video because if you're watching this and your life is just not where you want it to be and you're ready to manifest more for yourself, I have a training linked in the description of this video. And in this training, I'm breaking down all the steps to reinventing yourself and creating your dream life. I've used this exact method twice and each time I was able to transform my life within just a few months. I literally had a completely new life. So if you're ready for that to happen to you, click the link and watch the training once you're done with this video. Can you explain what the New Voices Fund is for those that don't know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think just to like double click on your last point too, um, I mean, that's why I started making like all these things on my Instagram, like templates or, or, or these courses that I just started making for entrepreneurs because, um, or even just like taking one-on-ones or chatting with people, because I think for a lot of people, particularly, you know, black female founders, which is who I tend to talk to the most, um, the ideas are so sick and the concepts are so amazing. But it's like, we're speaking a different language. And I think I realized that early on when it came to talking to investors or retailers, it's like, what it takes to sell a product on Instagram, for example, or direct to consumer is very different than what it takes to pitch a retailer or pitch an investor. And it's really just like understanding the language that they're speaking and like tweaking your positioning to talk to them to make sure you're getting like all of the ideas or all of the opportunities, you know? Um, I think there's like so many Instagram brands who do crazy revenue numbers, but it's like they're not in shelf or they're not getting investment. Maybe they're not looking for it or pitching it, but it's also because of just like those societal and and kind of like resource differences in in conversations that some of these people, you know, their grandparents are like venture capitals, you know? So it's like they grew up knowing how to speak this language and talk about it and they can take a concept and get crazy funding. And then it's like, Oh, your seven figure Instagram business can't get funding. Right. It's just like a matter of speaking the same language. (laughs) 
Um, right. But New Voices Fund, um, yeah, they're a great resource for all founders. They really focus and like over index, obviously, on black female founders. Um, they are an investment group. So they're venture capitalists. They invested in us. Um, they've invested in the Lip Bar, Mael, uh, Honey Pot, a lot of like really sick brands. So obviously honored to be like a part of that portfolio and for them to, you know, continue to kind of like invest in us and believe in us and believe in me as a founder. They also have a lot of great resources pre-funding. So they do a ton of webinars. I actually have one later today that I have to do. They have a ton of webinars on uh, decks, retail, um, pitching, press, all this stuff. Um, a great newsletter. They just provide a lot of resources for founders. Um, I think they do a great job of that. Um, and I think, yeah, what they've done is is really unmatched when it comes to supporting Black female founders, um, particularly like in the product space. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get into um, being a part of that fund? Yeah, so I... Um, I did a, a pitch competition with them. This was in 2020, actually. A uh, pitch competition with them 2020. Um, I am I'm no good at pitch competitions. I've like always like I can pitch retailers and, and uh investors and things like that. Like I always have a like, great conversations there and then move the needle there. But I don't whatever it is with pitch competitions has never been my my bread and butter because I remember I got like I didn't place very high on that pitch competition, but then like they ended up investing shortly after. Um, and so um, I got in with the pitch competition. I had been lightly familiar with them. I will say New Voices does a great job of like growing CPG companies. Like if you're owned by a black woman and you're seeing some traction, like you're going to be on their radar. They're very good at like keeping an eye on what people are doing, particularly obviously in the beauty space. They love beauty, but I think, you know, food and and all that they're tapped in with a lot of the accelerators and things like that too, to see what's going on there. Um, But yeah, I, I I think if you aren't, you know, in accelerators or or you're still figuring out growth, getting on their newsletter, being in their webinars, um, they offer so many resources. And if you just continue to show up and continue to interact there, um, I think building that relationship is key. And, and I did build the relationship and I wasn't ready for capital. And then eventually I was like, Hey, look, I'm ready to raise. And they were kind of like primed and ready to go. And so I think that's, that's key with any investor relationship. It's just like continuing to chat with them. Um, so that when you are ready, hopefully it's a smooth process. That's really dope. Okay. So for, with your investors that you have currently, um, what is it like, you know, navigating that with them, like dealing with the stakeholders and what kind of conversations are you having with them and all of that? Yeah. So I'll say, I think it's obviously very different um, for everyone. Um, I do feel very fortunate with new voices because I think a big piece of their strategy is investing in the founder. Mm -hmm. Um, And so ultimately I think they do trust my decisions and trust how I have everything. Um, They'll always offer insight or perspective on, on how we're growing or, what we're working on or what we're struggling with um new voices i think they're experts in retail they're experts in in product companies specifically in the beauty space in like a target and ulta you know like where we are um and and for those also i guess who don't know the new voices fund was started by rich dennis who founded shea moisture so he Mm -hmm. sold shea moisture and then started new voices fund amongst other things so obviously it's just like they have a ton of experience in the space um so they offer a lot of perspective there. We're always checking in. We're always having conversations, but they do really let me 
hold the reins around marketing strategy, around hires, around all these pieces, right? And and I think there's other funds that can be a lot more hands-on um, when it comes to the hiring process or who you're bringing on. Um, I think there's, you know, um, people who might be a little bit more kind of like in the day-to-day or a little bit more nitpicky or or whatever. I love the I love how they kind of come in and, and what they've been able to offer me and their support is great. Um, and I love that we're so aligned on the vision for Rosen that they do trust me to kind of like figure it out and roll with it. Um, and so, yeah, just like regular check-ins so similar to like kind of like a mentor relationship, um, honestly, and, and them offering, you know, all the perspective and resources that they can uh, when we do come against a roadblock and, and making sure we're just like aligned on how we're viewing the next six, 12 um, months. And, and then, you know, kind of like going past that. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So with, um, I know you mentioned like you've been in accelerators before and they also keep their eye on different accelerators. So how would someone go about finding a good accelerator to be in? And um, do you, like, is that something that you would recommend to most founders to do? Yes, I would. So I would say, now there's a ton of accelerators out there. Um, yeah. There's like smaller funds who do them. There's program, you know, different like independent organizations or things like that that do them. Um, in my perspective or experience, the kind of miscellaneous uh, accelerators that you'll find, whether it's a brand, maybe like a nonprofit or an org, uh, a smaller fund, for example, I think like Startup UCLA, obviously that's for UCLA students, but those kind of programs I think are really great for exactly where I was when I did Startup UCLA of, I need to understand differentiation, scale, how do I talk to investors, like the, the basics of entrepreneurship, structure, um, marketing a little bit, but I think it's like getting you like to flex your muscles as an entrepreneur and like as a founder. Um, going from like this idea and kind of like a, a concept, like, okay, this is how I could scale it. And this is how I could like really kind of grow this thing. I think those accelerators are all great for that. I think you need to do one or two, um, unless they're offering a grant or some sort of money, <laughs> do as many as you can, because it's, if it's non-dilutive capital, take as much as you can. Um, but I know for me, there was a point where I, I think I was kind of still like, oh, people like, oh, we'll recommend this. And I, I would do a few accelerators and I'm like, ah it's not really that beneficial to me at this point. I kind of understand these pieces. And so that's why I say like one or two, uh, and then I think you're going to be in a place where you're kind of good. Um, next stage is particularly, obviously speaking to product companies are these retail, uh, retail accelerators, Sephora, Target, Ulta, Walmart. Um, I think they're the main ones that have them. Um, I don't know. I think there's a Chobani one for food, which I think is a pretty solid one. Um, but these bigger brands, bigger retailers, those are the ones where I think you're going to get very niche into structure, preparing for retail. You're going to get a little bit better on like branding and messaging, positioning, um, some of the more strategic parts to take you to the next level. Um, and I, I recommend those. So look at a retailer that you want to get into. They probably have some sort of accelerator at this point and, and try to apply, you know, they have general applications that are open, um, if you can, you know, kind of connect with them on the side and maybe find who runs the program and try to connect with them on LinkedIn, like we said. Um, and those, again, I would say like one to two, and then, you know, you're probably pretty solid. Um, but between all of these, I think you should do as much work as you can as well, compiling mentors. 
and keeping up to date with these people. There's people that I met from Star of UCLA that I still update and they still are like tapped in with like helping me with certain things. Um, always keep a list of all these people so that you can update them and keep them posted. I think that's going to be a very crucial thing outside of the accelerator is staying in touch with the people who helped you during the program um, because they'll be able to help you, you know, for years on end. Hmm. Okay. And those relationships, like those mentor relationships that you have outside of the accelerators and stuff, and even that you might be maintaining within the accelerators, is that the main way that you maintain the relationship by sending updates or like, what are, what do those conversations look like that, like what's helping you maintain them for so many years? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, early on, when I was kind of like newer, I think, and I think it's fair when you're newer because there's so much volatility and people stop doing stuff or, or something happens. Um, I would send quarterly updates. Um, okay. just like, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is what's been working. This is what I'm struggling with. Um, I would, you know, maybe Taylor, Hey, if you can help me with X, Y, and Z, um, I would send those out super frequently. Um, this is what growth we've had. This is, you know, new retailer launches, new product launches, things like that. Um, Eventually, I went down to like kind of like twice a year, um, and then now I'll do a little bit more targeted kind of approaches of like, hey, I think like you're helpful in operations. I think you can be helpful here, or hey, I think you can connect, connect with the right people that I'm missing here. Um, but keeping people updated, just sending over updates, you know, every every six months, um, so that they know that you're still running and you're still around and pushing, um, and, and asking for help. And I think another thing is when you do ask for help, um, following up with them on hey, like this worked or this was super helpful. I think you. I appreciate it. Or like, hey, I actually went in a different direction. Um, and keeping people posted. That's something I always heard back from um, mentors when I was coming up. And I think I realize now being on the other end of like, it kind of sucks sometimes to like give out a bunch of free game and then like, be like, oh, I don't, I don't even think they listen. Like I never heard back from them. I don't know what's going on, you know? And so it's like the people who are like, oh, yo, I did this or I did that or like check in with you and, and just keep you posted. Like that's, the biggest way it's like everybody wants to like help people out or give advice in, in the way that they can or build a relationship with founders because it's like cool the relationship to see them grow yeah but just making like a two-way street and know that you know for a lot of years like you're never going to be able to give your mentor what they give you and it's going to feel like you're taking a lot but like they're signing up for that um and but i think just going at it like that quick questions keeping them updated don't go in i never go in asking for a mentor um it feels very loaded and it feels like a lot of work um but i would consider all of these people mentors in some way because they've helped me in some way but it's just like these quick interactions if that makes sense yeah that makes total sense and i think yeah people definitely underestimate how rewarding that is for the mentor to get updates yeah. on you know what progress you've made from the information that they've given you because even myself like as a coach that is always something like that makes my day when someone reaches out yeah. and they're like, Oh, I was able to do X, Y, and Z. And I know it's like, it's not always something that, that's at the forefront of your mind to like go back and tell the person, but it, that's, that's what makes me want to keep going and keep sharing and keep, you know what I mean? Like, cause like you said, it, it can be a lot of work to pour into people, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think the nature of like being somebody who's even down to mentor or have those conversations is like, we're so excited for people and we're so excited yes. for the ideas. And sometimes 
it like can be draining to feel like, am I more excited about this than you are? Like what's kind of going on here? Like, you know, and so that can be a lot. And so, yeah, just hearing back from people of like, yo, I did this or like, like, yeah, like you said, something messages me, even like a download or or something that they've done. And like, Hey, I did this and X, Y, Z happened. It's like, dope. Like, I'm so glad. So it's like, you know, you know, the ideas and the perspective you're giving is valuable, but it's helpful to like, you know, get some reassurance. Like, all right, this is helping me. All right. You know, so it's, it's nice. Yeah, absolutely. And so segueing into that, um, you've been coaching and everyone, like from what I've seen, everyone that has been working with you, they're obsessed and they're so excited to work with you. Um, I would be too. Like if I had a brand still and I was like coming up, I I would definitely book a session with you. (laughs) Thank you. Of course. Um, So while you've been doing all of these coaching sessions and helping people, like what have been the most common um, mistakes or things that people have been struggling with? Like, what have you seen come up a lot? Yes, I think um, number one thing that I see is brand and positioning. Um, That's the number one thing I see where I'm like, your idea, and again, it's kind of this idea of like speaking the same language. Your idea is great. Your concept is great. I see where you're coming from and I see why something doesn't exist on the market. I get that, but it takes those conversations with me or with them. I should say to understand that. All right, break it down. I'm asking about competition. I'm asking about the market. I'm asking, you know, more specific questions to get deeper at the root of their issue because at face value, what they're putting in the description of the call or what they tell me at the top of the call. I'm like, this isn't, this isn't different. This isn't a brand that's differentiated enough. But then we dig deeper and I'm like, it is, I see where you're coming from and I see why you started it. And so it's like, we got to revamp this to position it in a way that makes sense. Right. And it's that same conversation of like, just speaking the same language. You see these brands that are only slightly differentiated, but they raise a lot of capital. They get a lot of distribution customers are like, this is so great. Um, the branding itself, like visually is amazing. Um, and then, you know, we see a lot of early stage founders who, who might not come from that background with such a differentiated concept or idea, but the messaging of it is just like clean hair care. And it's like, uh, well, that's not really that different, but then it's like, okay, oh, but then we're focusing on this and we're doing this. And it's like, okay, okay, okay. Like, let's figure that out. And I, so I think that's the number one thing that holds us back from really scaling a community um, I think it holds us back from investors. I think it holds us back from retailers. Um, and I think that was something, fortunately, that I tweaked and, and began to understand early on. And I think that's the biggest thing that I see with with founders. And then I think the other piece is, is just like similar stuff to, you know, it's exactly what I was at when I started Rosen, cash flow, um, planning out production, just some of these like little things on the back end to get you in a place that makes sense. Um, to build consistency. Consistency with marketing is a big thing. Um, I think I see a lot of defeated founders, you know, they're not growing, they're not seeing a lot of capital or revenue come in. Um, but then it's like they they post like twice a week and, and you know, that's like very sporadic or, or they're not posting very consistently or their content doesn't really make sense, you know? So I think that's another thing. It's like, all right, you need to integrate with what's going on with social media or find somebody who can and pay them. You need to be posting consistency consistently and you need to start sending out packages. That's something I always tell people. Send out stuff to to reps or ambassadors or core customers and build that community that like I said, that's what we did and we still do. And I so I think those are the those are kind of the big things. Brand, cash flow, production, planning, 
um, and then um, consistency with marketing. Now I have a question because I, I feel like um, one of the most common things I hear from people that deters them from having reps and stuff is, well, I sent my stuff to one person and nothing happened. Like I got no sales and whatever. And so can you kind of break down like the value in um, having ambassadors and stuff outside of just seeing revenue right away? Yeah. So I think definitely super fair. Um, I think one, cause I know early on ROI was huge. So it was like, I don't have money to spend if I'm not making it back, you know, right. but you have to take in the all in budget of sending out to product, sending out products to influencers or people like that. And, and then the eventual return. Um, and, and some of it can be a little bit more immediate, but that means for us, man, how, probably half the people we reach out to we'll hear back from. Uh, from that, I would say it's probably half will actually, you know, get a package because maybe they'll fall off along the way or whatever. Um, and then, and then, you know, maybe, maybe half of them, maybe 60, 70, I would say 60, 50, 60% of them will actually post. So you got to take that whole fall off and that entire funnel to understand how many people do I need to reach out to if I want to get five posts up this month, you know? Mm. And so that's something that we would work through a lot and continue to work through to know like, all right, if I tell you I want five posts, if I tell my girl, I need five people posting this month, you might have to reach out to 20, 30 people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think understanding that and understanding, okay, if I can send out 20 packages, but get five posts and, and two of those posts do solid and we get some sales, like, does that make sense, right? How much does it cost to make your product? Is it, you know, if you're a skincare company, you know, let's say you're starting out maybe $5, which, you know, but maybe starting out, you don't have the best margins, you're paying five bucks per product. If you can send out 10, 15 packages, let's say you send out 10 packages, that's $50. Um, and you can get two sales off of that, you know, you'd like, you should be fine. So it's like, I think it's an all in cost there um, of, of, building in awareness for, for that funnel and knowing that not everybody's going to drive sales, not everybody's going to post, not everybody's going to respond to you, but understand how much can you send out and what do those response rates need to be so that you can do that. Um, and then at the end of the day, there's a level to like flooding the market that you want to see flooding, I guess, and however much control you have. But the more people see your brand, I think today it used to be seven times today's day and age. I, I want to say, I saw something the other day. It was like 20 with TikTok and everything like that, people have to see your brand 20 times for even thinking about purchasing. So it's like yeah. you only showing up on one person's feed this month, the first time their followers have ever heard of you, like, yeah, it's probably not going to drive a sale, right? So it's like right. you got to figure out how can you get multiple people posting, how can you get them to post more than once so that you can start kind of like driving this uh, funnel on both ends to, to drive sales, you know? Yeah, but I think people underestimate how important it is like ultimately even if you don't get an immediate sale if I just come across your brand organically the first thing I do when I'm like okay I think I want to buy this I go to TikTok or YouTube and I look for reviews or I look to see yeah. like if it's makeup I want to see it on somebody that's close to my skin tone or something mm -hmm. you know like I just I just need to see a few people using it yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know and so it, it does, it does help push conversion. Like, even if it's not directly from that person that posted, it's like eventually through people trying to like verify your brand and, you know, build trust with your brand, it's going to help. 
Yeah, exactly. And people want to see tagged content. And that's yes. what um, we're continuing to work on now, too. I mean, we, we obviously have like a solid community, but building that, you know, for this next level of growth and this next phase. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody searches Rosa Skincare, they don't want to hear me talking about how great it is over and over. You know, they don't want to hear me talking about how much I love this spot treatment or whatever. It's like, okay, cool. We get what you did and how you made it. And of course, I'm going to always like add that content to the flow, but they want to see other people talking about it too. And so, um, right. it's huge. It's, it, it's everything. Building a solid like ambassador program is everything. And it's really the cheapest other than kind of just, like general word of mouth from your customers, which you can't really control. It's going to be that you sending out products is the cheapest way for you to build that up and get yeah. to a place where you can have a budget to pay or to, or to do other things. Um, but it's the cheapest, most authentic way for sure to, to build awareness and for people to trust what you're doing because it's coming from others it's not coming from your mouth you know right absolutely absolutely um so where do you want to like take rosen over the next few years yeah um man i would say like immediate immediate looks are continuing to deepen our partnership with ulta um, I really want to deepen some of the, some of the key products we have there and, and see some expansion. So we're in like half chain right now, like 700 doors would love to get some of our key SKUs full chain. So in their whole, their whole, um, door count. And, um, that's our, our biggest kind of immediate goal. It's like that and building up our reps and ambassadors and, and our digital presence, um, to kind of like, I think match the scale that we're at today. Yeah. Um, you know, down the road, my goal eventually is to sell Rosen. I would love to to be acquired. Um, that's 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 the big goal. Um, obviously, a little bit of a ways away. So right now, I think in between now and then is really continuing to innovate and dominate the drugstore acne space. Um, and really, particularly, I would love every kind of like black female with acne prone skin in a certain kind of age range that like college to fresh or, or high school to fresh out of college to if not use us because they have acne to have tried us or, or are very familiar with us that's the goal that i want um and of course we expand outside of that demographic but that's our core so it's like if i can really rock with our core and, and they they feel familiar with us or they know who we are like that's that's the goal over the next few years so it's just figuring out how to continue to kind of tap on with that audience in an authentic way that feels accessible and approachable um and, and does drugstore acne in a way that, that other brands aren't well, that's totally going to happen, and I cannot wait to see it all happen. Because, um, yeah, you've already done so much in such a short time frame. And, of course, like, you're going to be able to sell. You're going to be able to be a household name with all of the young girls, oh, you. <laughs> the college girls. So I'm excited to see that happen for you. Um, now, here is one question that I always have to ask everyone to close things out. What does it mean to you to be a wealthy woman? Oh, uh, yes. Good question. I think being a wealthy woman for me, um, you know, a, a word that I tend to use a lot for my goals in life is like peace and peaceful. So I think when I think of being a wealthy woman, it is living a lifestyle that, you know, I hope to kind of like achieve, um, I think like financially. And then when it comes to like what I do on a day to day, um, in a very kind of like peaceful and grounded way. I I don't want my life to feel chaotic or anxious or all those things. And I think being wealthy um, includes a level of peace and a level of connection with my community, with my family, with my friends. Um, That's just like, yeah, 
a wealth of knowledge and, and health and happiness and, and love. Um, I think that's what that's what it feels like to me. That's beautiful. I love that. Okay, girl, I feel that. Um, so how can people find you? How can they follow you? How can they sign up for your coaching calls and your courses? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I am Jamika Rose, um, on Instagram. Um, and that's where I post most of my resources. Like I said, I'm getting active on LinkedIn again. My full name is Jamika Martin. Um, but yeah, Jamika Rose on, on mostly everything. JamikaRose.com um, is where I have a lot of my resources, but, um, you'll see kind of, um, what I have on my Instagram and, and always people can feel free to DM me. Um, I really chat with people I don't know at all, all day, just like about their brand or their business or little tips. Um, I do one-on-one calls. Like you said, I have some templates around kind of like influencer tracking or, um, margins or things like that for, for early stage entrepreneurs. And then I did just launch a course around getting ready for retail. So what is the logistics you need to have? finding buyers, pitching buyers, that whole process and get really in the weeds of that. And then, like I said, branding, um, taking your idea from a concept to like an actual brand that can be pitched to retailers and investors does make sense in the market and can kind of scale. Um, I just launched those courses, which I'm super excited about because I was just like chatting and having the same conversations over and over with people. Um, but yeah, all of that, uh, you can find it on my Instagram at Jamaica Rose with an underscore. Um, yeah, and hopefully I can connect with some of y'all. I love it. Thank you so much for being on here today. This was so, so good. Thank you. Yes, no, excited to reconnect. It was dope. Thank you. <laughs>